everybody get ready for Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. A foodie born and bred, my wife Nikki loves chatting up chefs, dining out, and insider industry buzz. And my husband David thinks a great meal is nothing but a good burger, a frosty brew, and a check for under $20. Because he is cheap. Well, maybe so, but Foodie married Beast anyway, and together we've got the food and wine variety show that has everyone talking. It's Foodie and the Beast, and we are on now. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis on a kind of skeevy Sunday morning here in Washington. It's not skeevy. But we're Why would you say skeevy? It's kind of gross and wet It's just and gray. That's all. Uh, well, we always agree, so there we are. Yeah. It's beautiful out there, but we've got a lot going on in the studio. First, I want to wish uh, Nikki an early happy birthday. Her birthday's Tuesday. Oh, She's going to be you. 23. <laughs> Again. Again. <laughs> uh, and that's all good. <laughs> okay, so here in D.C., there's a competition for one thing or another every time you turn around. But one that's coming up shortly is a true big one. It's a lot of fun. It's the 10th annual Events DC Embassy Chef Challenge. It's on the 17th. Okay, let's try that again. Everybody's said, like looking at their phones. Nobody's yeah. paying attention. Let's have a cheer for let's that. Let's try that again. It is the 10th, 10th annual, annual. <laughs> Events DC Embassy Woo! Chef Challenge. Hooray! Uh, ooga. All right, it? on May 17th at the Reagan Building. It's the whole point of it is to encourage culinary diplomacy. Through the celebration of food, drink, cultural stuff, and that, and we have some. And I do want to say that I am a judge, and I do, um, I accept bribes. So there you go. <laughs> and the check should be made out to David and Nikki. <laughs> okay. So we've got a bunch of folks that are going to be uh, in the competition. Mostly we're celebrating the drinks part of that, which is okay with me. Because that's how we do. And definitely okay with Nikki. Right. So, uh, uh, so in with us discuss, to discuss the challenge are a bunch of folks. Uh, Eric Moses is the Senior VP and Managing Director of Sports, Entertainment, and Special Events. <gasps> I know, it's a big <sighs> okay, title. Okay, for Events DC. Um, we're in Embassy Town, and Eric's the man behind the uh, upcoming Embassy Challenge. Matt Keller. Matt Keller. Tall Matt Keller. Tallest Aww. guy in the studio. <laughs> represents the Embassy of Liechtenstein. Uh, Matt is a senior advisor to the ambassador. And David among just wants to say that word. Lichtenstein. Over like, and over and better, over again. Yeah, that's why it's Frankenstein and right, not Frankenstein. Exactly. Right. <laughs> but he, he's the embassy's uh, congressional liaison, and uh, he works with the ambassador and works with folks on the Hill there. And But his work also includes promoting the country's alpine heritage and their booze, which is what we're going to be talking about today. Am well, I right actually, or am I right? He brought in... Um, some sparkling from the Prince's Vineyard, which I'm very excited Does to the try. Prince know? <laughs> I know. Did you Off with his head. that? <laughs> You're in trouble now. You better not go back. Okay. And I do want to mention that Liechtenstein was the, uh, uh, what I... Mm. The theme, sort something. of the hidden theme, or the hidden uh, uh, protagonist of The Mouse That Roared, for anybody old enough to remember that Peter Sellers movie. Carl Hartle is here. He's a counselor with the Embassy of Canada, and he knows everything there is to know about Canadian craft beers. Everything. We, look at him. Everything, Carl. We no, understand you know absolutely Carl everything. Carl says that's BS, but I, I think he knows. <laughs> okay. And Christina Tufts is here. She's with Harbor Wines, representing the Embassy of Moldova. Uh, Moldova, excuse me, Moldova. Thank you, Andy. Thank you, Andy. Uh, Moldova, if you don't know where it is, it's a landlocked country sitting between the Ukraine and Romania. And she came in full costume today. She's in full traditional costume with costume. her husband, Brian, who is in full American costume. Right. <laughs> but we will be on, uh, after our talk with Mitch Berliner, we'll be on Facebook Live, so you'll be able to see all the deliciousness happening in studio. Is Mitch on the phone? Do we, have we got I you, am. Mitch? 
Good morning, boys and girls. Good, good morning. Good morning, Thank Mitch. I just got your me. photo of those gorgeous fiddlehead ferns. They look fabulous. Right. Yes, indeedy. It's it's spring because yeah. it's spring foraging. We've got the morels, fiddleheads, and ramps uh, a plenty here. I can't and believe there are morels already. Yeah, yeah, and the beautiful. Uh, from the farm, mm-hmm. asparagus and strawberries. Oh, let's talk. Can we talk a little about fiddleheads? Because we were watching Anthony Bourdain last night, and he was in West Virginia foraging for fiddleheads. What do you use those for? You cook them well, and you um, eat them. You well, do you think most people know what a fiddlehead is? Yes. Anybody here? I know what a fiddlehead uh, is. Come on, stop well, that. Well, let's just tell people. Uh, fiddlehead is the <laughs> that's before the a fern plant unfur- unfurls mm-hmm. its leaves. It's all bundled up in like a coil, and you clip them off, and you just yeah because you them. you can't eat them raw, right? They're not no, they're, no. they're not very good raw. But if you saute them in a little olive oil, a little bit of about uh, butter and some garlic, you're in good shape, right? Yeah, as a matter of fact, you could probably do that to just about anything on the planet. <laughs> not me, couldn't do that to me. But also, you can make. Um, I've seen some people doing some pesto with like ramps and also fiddlehead ferns too, right? Yeah, I guess you could. I got. I do have to say something. There's been a lot of people that tell me. I I always love to, you know, exchange with the folks here, and they say we have a lot of people here selling ramps. Mm-hmm. And, ramps are at huge. All our markets, and uh, and by the way, all four of our markets open. And I ask people, what do you do with them? We we pickle the bottom, the tops. I had quite a number of people say they make ramp butter out of it. Oh, like a so compound butter. Oh, I love yeah. that. That's great. Just I, to put I've it on top of fish that, or steak. And I'm sure you can Google it. Some butter. They say some olive oil on the top of the ramps. So, so is that butter or butter? How bad could that be? <laughs> can so, you hear me, uh, Mitch? We all heard you, David. <laughs> um, so, okay, all four markets are open now. It, tell yes, us where all four are. Fantastic, fantastic grand opening at the Montgomery Mall. That's the Central Farm Market at Westfield, Montgomery. It's every mm-hmm. Saturday, 9 to one thirty. Pike has now been open for a month, uh, several weeks. That's okay, Pike is Pike on Saturday. Is that on Saturday? That's also Saturday. Those two, two markets Saturdays. on Saturday. And mm-hmm. our two Sunday markets, downtown Bethesda, 9 to one thirty, on the parking lot of the Bethesda Elementary School. And last but not least, the one run by my uh, bride, partner, and immediate supervisor, Deborah Moser, <laughs> Fairfax. At the Mosaic District. So Excellent. we're really starting to see lots and lots of stuff. And we have heirloom tomatoes that have been raised in greenhouses that are uh, organic certified. So we got a lot of stuff. All out. right, Mitch. Thank you, everybody. Go to Central Farm Markets and shop that fresh stuff. Am I right? All right. All right, man. Thanks, Mitch. Thanks, Thank Mitch. You. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. So Eric Moses, as the Hi, senior Eric. vice president... And Managing Director of Sports Entertainment and Special Events. How did Events DC, well, first of all, what is Events DC and, and why? Uh, well, Events DC is the official convention and sports authority for your nation's capital, for Washington DC. So our job is to sell DC as the most interesting and the best place to host any kind did of event. Did it grow out of Destination DC? Yeah, where is it from? Like, is it part of the tourism? So like, we are a quasi-governmental entity, so mm-hmm. our board members are nominated by the mayor and approved by the council, kind of like Senate confirmation. Mm-hmm. How do I get in on that? Uh, <laughs> you got to know the mayor. you got to know the mayor. <laughs> you got to know the right. mayor. 
Um, and Destination DC is our sister organization. So okay. both of us are, are funded partially through the hospitality taxes when people go to restaurants and, and sleep in hotels. Mm-hmm. And so that comes to us so that we can continue to attract, promote, and host those those events. So when you say attract, is does that mean you're trying to attract like talent that comes to town as well? Like big singing groups or, or like uh, the All-Stars, stuff like that. Is that yes. under your domain so, as well? So MLB All-Star, which will be here this summer. We well, are, I've heard, I mean, we were all part everybody of that. is talking about that. The Winter Classic a few years ago, mm-hmm. NBA All-Star when it was here. Um, all those NCAA, we had the Big Ten Championships and the ACC Championships mm-hmm. and Atlantic Ten last year, so all of those Let me boil this down. What I'm hearing is that you get the good tickets. <laughs> I have no tickets. Let me say that again. Uh, I have uh, zero tickets. Yeah. Uh, I've been wanting Eric for a number of years. Okay. <laughs> all right, so let's talk about the Embassy Chef Challenge. Yes. Yeah, how does, how does your organization do this one? Like, where do you guys fit in on this? So this one we actually produce uh, ourselves. We have mm-hmm. been a financial supporter of Cultural Tourism D.C., a fantastic nonprofit in D.C. that uh, envisioned this event and started it. Um, Wait, where does Stephen Ball fit in on all of this? So Stephen is on my team, and he, okay. he's our special events director. We just know Stephen Ball. Okay. Yeah, Stephen's right. great. He's great. And he will be the person running around sweating while this event is going on. Excellent. And sure that Good. It happens well, he should well. run a little bit. He should he should sweat a little bit. <laughs> just a little bit. We keep him on the move. Okay. For sure. We keep him on the move. So this one, we uh, in 2016, we essentially purchased from Cultural Tourism DC and took it over uh, so that we could inject some new energy into it. Uh, and uh, and have been able to do that. It's been sold out for the last two years. And so more let's embassies. tell people what it is. Sure. What is this challenge? So think uh, Iron Chef uh, with the chefs that cook for ambassadors of embassies from all over the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a competition uh, that the attendees get to vote on and that we have very distinguished judges, some of which are very close here, here in studio, um, here. to oh uh, to, okay. to judge the, the bites that these that these chefs prepare mm-hmm. or the sips, meaning the beverages, which we will be trying this morning, uh, or even some sweets, some desserts. So are the is it about a pairing too? So if is it the food and the drinks together or is it all judged separately? It's all judged separately. It's all judged so, separately. So you can as a country you can either prepare a bite, which mm-hmm. is something to eat, or a sweet a dessert, or you can bring a beverage. Okay, so you have the opportunity Correct. to do... Well, and the other thing is, obviously, the countries are not all the, you know, the, the biggies that people would necessarily travel to, Italy or Colombia. We've got Moldova, we've got Liechtenstein, which I love saying, by the way, man. I mean, Liechtenstein, <laughs> Liechtenstein. Um, so, is that purposeful that you reached out to, and because you've got 30 different countries, but right. they're not all... We would love to have every country represented uh, in the uh, well, diplomatic North corps teed here. Up, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that should next year we probably will have them, I guess. Um, but uh, but you're right. We want people to have a culinary trip around the world and not necessarily to the places that you're already familiar with. Right. So how many are participating this year? We have about thirty right now, and and are still pushing to bring more. Wow. Uh, yeah, we want it, we want to make certain that people feel like they've gone to every corner of the globe uh, in one night. And is there a real opportunity for when people are there to sort of engage with the different embassies and learn about them? I assume they all have tourism boards. I mean, I assume part of their participation is to educate people to these countries. Yeah, I think I think it is that, you know, we, we just had Passport D.C. where the embassies open up uh, to the public. And so that's one of the main ways that that embassies do that. This you can talk a little bit to the chefs and to the folks who are serving the food or the drinks. 
Um, but because it is really well attended, mm-hmm. uh, you can't have very long conversations. Right, you have to get your food and keep it moving uh, right. so the people behind you can get theirs. But right. there's dance and there's all kind of cultural performances. So you will learn about countries in ways that you have not uh, in the past at other kinds of events You need me to evening. be the singer from the United States, perhaps? We, we, we were thinking of asking you uh, that. Where are you? Yeah. Let's stop we're thinking we're about <laughs> it. Big so mistake. now you're doing some special celebrations for the 10-year anniversary. What are some of those? Yeah, well, we've added some things to make the uh, event uh, a little more exciting. So we've added uh, an, an after party. Uh, the, the primary reason for that is, the last couple of years when we've done this, there's quite a bit of pent up energy and excitement around the announcement of the winners. And so you have everybody, you know, straining to get to the front of the stage and excited about who's going to win. We announce the winners and then send everyone home. Right. And that didn't seem like the right way to end the night. So sure. we're going to end the night in a more festive way uh, this year and have an after party. Uh, we've also added more categories. So for the people's choice and the judge's choice, we usually awarded just one. But now we'll do three, first, second, and third place. And we'll okay. do best dressed uh, uh, embassy. Uh, so for the best decorated uh, Well, Christina location. wins today. Yes. Congratulations, Christina. Christina. The, the, the pre-award. So <laughs> that'll be sponsored by Macy's. And the best beverage will be sponsored by our partner, Pepsi. Now, when you talk about best beverage, are we talking cocktails only or wines too? Cocktails, wine, oh, so it's any, anything. any kind of beverage. Okay. Yes. Beer. Beers, Beer. yes. Okay. You know, we need to take a break. Oh, already? Yes. Oh, all right. Well, this is David and Nikki Nellis with Foodie and the Beast. We're going to be talking about all sorts of things with this challenge. We'll be back in just a sec. All right. We're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. Before we get back to the show, I just want to thank our sponsors, ProFish, the fabulous market at River Falls in downtown Potomac, Meat Crafters, and Central Farm Markets. If you're not a sponsor, shame on you. We're going to get sponsors all the way from Moldova in a minute. <laughs> Look at that. Oh, wait, she just left. Okay, so let's get back to the show. Matt. Matt Keller represents the Embassy of Liechtenstein. I love saying that. I, I love know. you saying it. I know. Oh, Hi. I love you loving me saying it. <laughs> so, Hi, Matt. Matt, let's get a little 411 on you because you're a Yank working for Liechtenstein. How exactly. did that work? Yes. Uh, it was right place, right time, uh, and it's a job that I'm never giving up. I've been there for 15 years. They opened the embassy in 2002, in October, and then hired me a few months afterwards. I have a background in German studies. I lived in Germany. I worked in government relations. And when I came to Washington, uh, I got an interview with them, and uh, the rest is history. And I've just been helping them set up shop uh, in D.C. at the beginning, and then now it's just really continuing their relationship with the U.S. government and the U.S. people as well. Well, so can we hear a little bit about the countries? Yeah, absolutely. So it's located between Austria and Switzerland, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, it's the exact same geographic size as Washington, D.C. It's 62 square miles. Okay. But we have 38,000 people there. No, you That's don't. You all. have 37,000 plus. Okay, 37,800. <laughs> okay, yeah. That's right. Uh, <laughs> we don't we, like hyperbole on this show. <laughs> exaggerating on this show. Okay, no, you okay. You shiners in your hyperbole. <laughs> um. But uh, yeah, and actually, um, one thing that we're really happy about with the Embassy Chef Challenge is it's, one, it's a rare opportunity for us to really showcase our culture and our history and our country to such a large audience, because we're a very small embassy in Washington. We are Mm -hmm. three people. Right. We are uh, located uh, next to the House of Sweden on the D.C. water, on the Georgetown waterfront. (laughs) Sure. Uh, But we don't have a public space. We don't have a big uh, embassy for lots of people to come. We also don't have a, a, a personal chef. So, uh, so well, I just have to ask. So when the three of you go to Liechtenstein and then leave, does everybody else go, man, there's a lot of room here? <laughs> yeah. wow. Exactly. It's very noticeable when everyone leaves. So, uh, so you don't have a corporate, uh, an embassy chef. So, no. But you felt that participating in this event was yeah, important Yeah, and what for the, you. Uh, the people at the Embassy Chef Challenge have been really 
uh, amazing at is also thinking of embassies like us, where uh, they're uh, now um, allowing for sort of a pavilion where embassies can feature drinks and other things uh, like uh, food or, or anything uh, that they feel like, coffee or anything like that. So for you, what would you th what do you want people to know about your country? Um, well, we're, we are, you know, just as active as any country would be when it comes to things like foreign policy. You know, we're mm -hmm. a member of the United Nations, we're a member of the WTO. Uh, we're within the, uh, we're not a member of the EU, but we're part of the EU market. But also we are a very unique, uh, Liechtenstein is a very unique heritage, culture, and we would li really like for people to come visit us because it's, it's one of these countries that we're off the beaten track. Uh, you can come, we have a fabulous food, we have fabulous hotels. We have 250 well, miles like of hiking. I'd like to know a little bit more about your tourism. So sure. What do people do when they go? When they to come Lichtenstein? to Liechtenstein, well, there's a number of things. If in the, in the winter, we have a ski resort uh, up in Liechtenstein, the town of Malbun. Mm -hmm. You can come there. You can then have our national dish, which is called Käseknüpfli, which is essentially like. That sounds really easy for you yeah. to say. <laughs> yeah, I'll have a Käseknüpfli uh, well, burger. Well, if you're, if you're familiar with the German version, it's called Spätzle. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a it's a version of that where we cor incorporate a sour cheese uh, and uh, uh, caramelized onions and it's uh, to to really sort of connect with Americans you say it's sort of an alpine version of macaroni and cheese but it's nothing like macaroni and cheese because but it's, it's not the same. macaroni exactly it's like but it's more like dough. these mini dumplings yes, like yeah right. and you boil them it's a dough that you drop in boiling water and then they delicious. solidify it's delicious I know <laughs> and then in the summertime I mean there's all kinds of outdoor activities to do tons of hiking we have award winning museums. We have award-winning restaurants, uh, Michelin-rated restaurants. We have wonderful hotels. We have everything from, you know, haute cuisine down to just uh, mom-and-pop places where you can get a good schnitzel or a bratwurst. mama or, and papa. Mama <laughs> and papa, yeah. <laughs> That's okay. All right. So, and you're going to prepare a... Yes. yes. So, so can you tell us about, because this is from the Prince's Vineyard. So, yeah, I'm creating a cocktail right now with uh, sparkling wine from the Princely Vineyards of Liechtenstein. This is a sparkling wine that comes from a vineyard that the Princely family has been running since 1436. Mm -hmm. So it has a little uh, history behind it. And what I've done today is uh, we're preparing a cocktail that we'll be show showcasing at the Embassy Chef Challenge called the Imperial Ricky 300. And it is celebrating. A bit of DC yes, with. yes, and it's celebrating our uh, tricentennial, which we'll be celebrating next year. Wow! So, and it's something that we created that not only will celebrate Liechtenstein, but also our great and wonderful relationship with the United States, and also with the District of Columbia. Well, I'd like to know. Um, why don't you pop the bottle? Okay, just there we right, go. There it All is. Right. There it is. Um, so, I'd like to know a little bit about the Princely Vineyards. Sure. Um, They've been, I mean, and, and sort of the monarchy of Liechtenstein. Absolutely. The monarchy has been around for centuries. Uh, to just give you a little bit about Liechtenstein's history, uh, why we're celebrating the tricentennial is that uh, in uh, 1719, the emperor of the Holy Roman Empire elevated Liechtenstein to the imperial principality of Liechtenstein. And that's why it's a principality and not a kingdom. So it was formed within the Holy Roman Empire mm -hmm. uh, and uh, has existed ever since. In 1806, we attained our sovereignty. That was after Napoleon conquered Europe and, and we became, became part of what's known as the Rhine Confederation. Uh, and, um, so, and the princely family has, uh, during the time uh, of the Holy Roman Empire, they actually resided mostly in Vienna, Austria, and they were part of the imperial court of the Holy Roman Empire. So basically members of the parliament, they were generals, uh, and, uh, and so a lot of their history is also connected with Austria as well. So we have a, a, a good heritage with Austria, but we also have a very close uh, association with Switzerland as well. We have a customs union with them. So, and also whenever you pass over the border from Switzerland, because you have to fly into Zurich, uh, 
Yeah. When, we, when you fly into Liechtenstein, you're going to be flying into Zurich, Switzerland, and then from there, it's about an hour and 15 minutes to get to, well, to, get to Liechtenstein. I got a question for you. So Liechtenstein, like Switzerland, is neutral, so yeah. no army. The army was disbanded. 1866. We so haven't had an army. It, don't you think it's amazing that both Switzerland and Liechtenstein, it, and during World War II, got to avoid all the Michigas there? They didn't yeah, get... yeah. I mean, for us, uh, it, it was, it, you know, as a neutral country, uh, you know, we just simply uh, avoided conflict as much as we could. But also, you know, for Liechtenstein, we were in a, you know, where its location, um, it really wasn't a strategic point for any of the armies there. We also don't have natural resources, you know, reasons why you might invade a country. Uh, and also our close association with Switzerland, this customs union we have since the 1920s, um, that really, that close association as well, um, you know, Germany uh, just basically, you know, respected the territory. Well, if anybody the knows the story of the mouse that roared, you like to invade countries. Don't you? <laughs> yeah. That's actually a great movie. Uh, yeah, of course, it has a, a connotation to Liechtenstein, but uh, Peter Sellers is a wonderful actor. And I love him. So, um Let's get back to the wine a little bit. Okay. So are there, is there lots of wines coming out of Liechtenstein? Oh, absolutely. Well, Liechtenstein itself is known for wonderful Chardonnays and Pinot Noirs. Interesting. Yeah. You yeah. would think because of its location, it would be known for maybe Riesling or something like that. Uh, there are some Rieslings grown. Actually, the princely, they have princely vineyards. Uh, they are located in Liechtenstein. They also have ones in Austria. Okay. And in the Austrian vineyards, they grow Riesling as well. Interesting. Yeah. But the bubbly, what's the bubbly based on? Uh, it's a uh, bubbly that's based on. Uh, it's actually, I believe, it's a riesling. Okay. Uh, yeah, that uh, they used here. And what did you mix it up with? So what I've done here is I've done uh, created a cocktail that I think is very symbolic of Liechtenstein as well as uh, our relationship with the U.S. Um, its uniqueness lies, of course, in the fact that it has this bubbly from the uh, Prince of Liechtenstein. Mm -hmm. uh, but what we've also done is we put in a little edelflower liqueur. Um, Edelflowers grow wild in uh, Liechtenstein Alps, and so that's something that we thought we'd bring a taste of the Liechtenstein Alps to all of you. So, is elderflower liqueur from Liechtenstein? No, no, this is not. We don't okay. we don't make elderflower liqueur, so we had to outsource a little well, bit. Well, the drink is good at Alps to have the uh, oh, elderflower in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um, oh, thank you. Again, getting my share now. Um, and the other thing that we have in it, which is actually something quite unique, and it's very, um, it's 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 symbolic of our. Uh, Sim similar heritage of distillation uh, between the United States and Liechtenstein is we have Applejack. Uh, Applejack is an apple brandy. Mm -hmm. uh, and actually, in the early history of the United States and also in the early history of Liechtenstein, the, the most predominant spirit that was consumed was fermented apple cider or apple brandy, Applejack. Right. And so this is something where we're kind of bringing both cultures together there. And of course, we're calling it a Ricky. It's the Imperial Ricky 300. And as everyone knows, uh, the Ricky is the official cocktail of Washington, D.C. That's right. It's typically made with gin or whiskey, lime juice, and sparkling mineral water. And this is our sort of creative interpretation of that. Where now, is we're... this your own creative interpretation? Yes, is yes. A, is this a little side gig that you like to This is something, yeah, well, I mean, I, I, love, I love cocktails. I love a good craft cocktail. And, of course, D.C. is now a mecca for that. It's just amazing. There's so much creativity mm. in the city here. And... Um, so, uh, yeah, well, there's a lot going on. that is very refreshing. That is delicious. It's yeah, delicious. yeah, it's something I... So do you I, and the ambassador just sit around mixing up different stuff? And <laughs> well, you know, you, you know, you talk about cultural yeah, diplomacy. This is actually something that we do do on a regular basis is, um, you know, given the fact that we're not a huge embassy and we can't invite hundreds of people over for big parties, we have very small, intimate parties, 30 people or so, and what we do is feature cocktails. That's one thing that where it's a, it's a distinctive uh, historical heritage of the United States. I mean, cocktails are really a U.S. thing. Uh, and uh, but then what we do is you know, uh, create something that, uh, you know, we think can basically bond both cultures there.
All Very right. Good. Well, now we're going to move from cocktails Thank you, Matt. to brewskis. Uh, Carl Hartill. Am I pronouncing it right, Hartill? Yes, you are. Well, I am. Hi, it's Carl. Both He's both a uh, an embassy of Canada. He's a counselor there, but he's also a scientific mind. Am I right? You are that. Uh, I'm the science counselor. And <laughs> not only does he know everything about he just corrected you craft brewing, but he brought in a, a couple of samples of Canadian craft brews, including something called the Flying Monkey's Juicy Ass IPA, with which I'm fascinated. <laughs> so let's talk about the craft. We're going to go to a commercial in about three minutes, and we'll come back to you. But let's start with the craft brewing scene in Canada. The craft brewing scene in Canada right now is vibrant, very vibrant. We, Canada and the United States, we, we all got into this uh, move away from industrial beer in the mid-80s uh, into the early 90s. The United States, of course, it took off, bigger market, uh, more people, uh, conditions, market conditions, and so on. In Canada, it's really taken off in the last five or ten years. So there are now approximately 600 microbreweries across the country. Uh, you can walk into a brew pub that brews only for their local clientele in downtown Toronto. You can find larger breweries, larger microbreweries, of course, uh, in uh, in urban neighborhoods, in suburban neighborhoods, and so on. And are these people who are doing it at home who just migrated to making it a business? There are, of course, many people who were homebrewers to start and have made it into a business. But Canada also has one of the top teaching breweries in, in North America. And that teaching brewery, of course, is uh, uh, teaching young people, men and women, uh, the science of brewing good beer, the consistency of good beer, and so on. And coming out as brewmasters. Yeah, I don't know this for a fact, but I'm going to bet you have a son that graduated from there recently. <laughs> Actually, my son graduated in December f as a master right. brewer. Am I amazing? Congratulations. Congratulations. So what, I mean, so, so what do you kind get free of... Beer? Okay. It's called um, a retirement beer supply program. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so what does he... What did he have to do? Like, what's the... How long is the... Like, is it a semester? Or is it... What is a what is it what is the curriculum like? Essentially, it's two years nonstop. Okay, it's uh, uh, it's a it's got everything from the science to supply management to how to run a microbrewery. It's, it, it touches on every aspect from growing the hops. They actually grow hops at the teaching at the teaching brewery, mm -hmm. all the way to oh, I'm opening my own business. I need to source equipment from the United States or Germany and so on. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to be tasting some beers from Canada. I'm very excited. I'm going to taste them now. Okay, this is David and Nikki Nellis with Foodie and the Beast. We'll be back in just a sec. All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. Before we get back to the show, I want to remind everybody we have another show that we do on Mondays called Industry Night with Foodie and the Beast. You it's can listen fabulous. to it on fullserviceradio.org, mm -hmm. or you can come down to the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan and stare at us through the window as you would monkeys in the zoo okay that's what it's like but actually it's uh the show is very different than what we do here on foodie and the beast this is a party obviously if you're watching us on facebook live you'll see a studio littered with glassware and uh lots of deliciousness this sh uh foodie and the beast industry night with foodie and the beast is a little different in that we dive a little deeper we have a, a little bit more serious conversations with those in the industry about everything from wine to food to policy and uh, we've had some really fabulous shows, and uh, we hope you'll listen and to it. They're all podcasted at fullserviceradio.org. I also want to mention we're on Facebook Live today. Go to Nikki Nellis, N Y C C I Nellis, 
and uh, find us there. And we have fabulous Hollywood producer Tessa Nellis, who is behind the camera. <laughs> yes, Say hi, do. Tess. Hi, Tess. Okay. okay, so let's get back to Carl. Carl. What did you pour for us first, Carl? Okay, so first, because it's still morning, uh, you're drinking an early bird breakfast barley wine. So this is just for breakfast. Yeah, so you roll out of bed, grab a beer. Okay. Okay. Beets, ham, and eggs. A barley wine is a style of beer. It's uh, usually Mm. a very strong beer, and you actually have a very strong barley wine in your hand there. When you say strong, do you mean strong flavor or high alcohol? It's a bit of both. Okay. (laughs) Usually, uh, this is way above your traditional 5%, or this this particular one here is 11.4%. Wow. That would be why I saw God just a minute ago. (laughs) (laughs) So no, the interesting thing is this this beer has been aged in oak barrels. Okay. And amongst its various ingredients, and all beer is basically uh, a malt, a hop, water, and yeast. That's mm-hmm. what all beer is. This one has some adjuncts, if you wish, maple syrup, and cold steep Damn, coffee. Good. It is really good. It it's um. And you're not a beer person. I'm really not a huge beer person, but it has um. Even though it's bitter, it has uh, it's got a very full mouth flavor. Mm-hmm. And actually, the funny thing is, you mentioned bitter. There is uh, a measure called International Bittering Units mm-hmm. (IBU), and this one's on the high end of the scale, from zero to one hundred. This one's at eighty. So yeah, you're absolutely say, right. You got bitter. it. <laughs> this would be good. Bear. Who brought a burger and some fries? Okay. Anybody? So, where is this created in Canada? Okay, this is uh, from a microbrewery called Cameron's. And it opened in 1997. I was telling you how uh, the microbrewery industry started up, you know, a good 20, 30 years ago now. So it's one of the oldest microbreweries in Canada, and okay. it's located just west of Toronto. Excellent. All right. All right, wait, what do we pour next? Yeah, but this is awesome. What is this? So this second beer that we're drinking here is a, a German style oh. beer called a, a, a grapefruit rattler. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And is this the Waterloo? This is from Waterloo, yes. And they're oh, one of the oldest breweries. Actually, I think they're the oldest microbrewery in Canada. They were founded in 1984. Okay. And again, Waterloo, west of Toronto. Now, when you say microbrewery, what does that um, what do, what is the what does that mean today? Because, you know, the the question we always ask when we have beer makers on from all over the world is, how do you go from craft beer like at what point are you no longer craft when you're selling national? Is, like yeah. when does it change? So when right. you say microbrewery, what are the uh, academically like? Where do they fit? Like are they only allowed to produce so much? What does it mean? Well, let's start with uh, what I would call industrial size or macrobrewery. Okay. Those are your Anheuser Busch, sure. Your Millers in Canada, your Molson and Labatt, cool. so mm-hmm. on. So they're out there producing many beers. Um, and huge quantities, and they occupy all in in the United States, probably about eighty-five uh, percent of the market. Now, below that, that fifteen percent is made up by the craft brewery or microbrewery industry, mm-hmm. um, and they can be a sort of mama and papa shop, as you said earlier, uh, pr- brewing just for a local clientele, and they can be a little bigger. Um, so is Sam Adams still considered a craft brewery? Actually, uh, there, there's discussion about how yeah. big a, cra- a microbrewery is now and uh, whether or not Sam Adams is still within that class. Because they still consider themselves in that class. They pretend. Well, it's marketing. Right. They, they do, but their production has surpassed a certain level mm-hmm. where the actual craft brewery uh, trade associations would say you're no longer a, cra- a microbrewery. Got it. Okay, so you poured one more. What do we got? Okay, so now we're moving on to... Oh, to the one we all want to say out loud. Yeah, this is the uh, this is from 
Um, it's a juicy ass IPA. Yeah. Funny name. I don't know how they came up with it. Uh, because I'm not they wanted going to have to. fun. Yeah. Okay, nobody even Not snickered. ever having kissed a monkey's ass, I wouldn't know, but let yeah. me try it. It doesn't. It's so not. This... It's Monkey's Craft Brewery, and it's called Juicy Ass. It's not Monkey's Ass. Yeah, it's Flying Monkeys. Uh, I just wanted to go right to it, okay. if you don't mind. But this sort of is grapefruitish, too. Yeah. It, 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 a lot of the IPAs have uh, some citrusy flavors in them just by nature of the hops no, that they're the actually one. brewing. So it's, yeah. you're not necessarily... <laughs> Ah, they're all good. Putting lemons <laughs> or oranges in, glass, in here. I don't give a hoot. <laughs> <laughs> and so what's the what's the history uh, on this brewer? This is a, a still, I would consider, a microbrewery. Mm -hmm. And they're located, again, in the Toronto area, just south of Toronto. Okay. Um, is that where, it, it sounds like there's a lot of microbreweries in the region, but is it is microbrewing happening nationally in Canada? Yes. As a matter okay. of fact, uh, I would say that it took off in Ontario uh, 20, 30 years ago, B.C., British Columbia at about the same time. And then Quebec sort of got into it. And the dis difference there is Quebec sort of moved towards the European Belgian styles, the sours, the farmhouses and so on. Whereas the English speaking provinces tended to stick with the English styles and the American styles. Mm -hmm. Well, I like the way you said Quebec instead of Quebec. Like right, like the Americans do. do. Very impressive. And so right. can we... Can we talk a little bit about the tourism in Canada? I mean, are a lot of people coming to Canada right now for beer, to go check out the beer scene there? Is that something that you guys are really promoting? Well, we, we don't actually have a, that promotion, per se, within the embassy. We mm -hmm. don't do that. Mm -hmm. But, yes, the beer, uh, the beer crowds throughout North America, they travel. They travel for beer. They travel to places which have a good reputation for beer. And ahead of time, you can see these people looking up those microbreweries that they want to visit. They're doing beer promotion. tours. Wouldn't it? Beer here. Okay. That's, it's been done. And it's part of our... <laughs> <laughs> and it's part of the Canadian culture, as you that's all know. Beer well, that's what I'd like saying. to talk about. Just before we wrap up with you, how is beer a part of the Canadian culture? Because it seems like it's, so, it's such a, a part of it. I think it goes a long way back to uh, microbrewery opening up in the late 1600s mm -hmm. as the uh, um, pioneers or settlers, uh, the colonial uh, countries came across into North America. I mean, you have to have something to drink. Right, of course. Of course. And wine... I mean, I, look who you're talking to. <laughs> <laughs> I have so much to drink. But I think it's sort of like, uh, you know, in the United States, uh, you have certain drinks that go with certain sports. Well, Hockey and beer. What could be more Canadian than that? Mm -hmm. and, you know, and, and fighting, right? Hockey, fighting, beer, fighting, right? Yeah, exactly. No, but what did you tell us? You told us off air. What is the sport of Canada? Canada's national sport is lacrosse, not hockey, which I found shocking. Yeah, very interesting. All right, so we are going to see you at this event. Yes, in two weeks' time. Okay, great. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank now you. Now we're going to travel to the faraway land of Moldova. Come on, yes. Christina, get up there. So we have uh, Christina. Christina Tufts is from Harbor Wines. That's and, one of the premier distributors. And also joining wines. us, we have Lillian Gutson and Adrian Rocha, who are with the Embassy. And they are going to tell us a little bit about uh, about the country well, of Moldova. Well, let's hear about Moldova is another one of those small countries that I'm sure a lot, a lot many Americans are not that, all that familiar with. And you have an amazing wine scene as well. So... 
Why doesn't somebody step up to the mic and tell us all about that? Yes. Looks like Christina stepping Somebody's up to the mic. Somebody's got to step up to the mic. Well, <clears throat> excuse me, I can't wait to tell you all about the Moldovan wines because winemaking, agriculture in general, is at the very core of what we do in Moldova. And we take wine seriously. It's our pride, and we don't say it arrogantly, but rather we take that with great pride, as I said. <clears throat> and I brought you a teaser. I only brought three choices of wine. I brought a sparkling, mm -hmm. which we started with. We just started with this three. All right, I'm sorry, get out. The, the bare minimum is five, right? <laughs> Because you have to try a little bit of everything. And I will let uh, Liliana tell you more about the country, but I will give you a little bit of teaser. So the sparkling I brought is a Crisecco, mm -hmm. which is made with an indigenous varietal called Fetasca Alba. You can only find it in Moldova in that region. About 90% of it is Fetasca Alba and 10% is Muscat. Okay. My second favorite is a white Cabernet, which is rather peculiar because That's it very is peculiar yes. it's a red grape it's a cabernet sauvignon however the skins were removed before fermentation and that's how you end up with the white finish and is that something traditional from your country no i think it started more like an experiment and it ended up being a really good great success i should say mm -hmm. uh, because that's one of those wines that um it's very versatile you can drink it in the summer uh chilled or you can drink it in the winter with the fireplace on, uh, room temperature, and it kind of has more of that red character. But it's so a white wine. It's a white wine. That's yes. fascinating. And so what can we have a little history about the wines of Moldova? Because for people who aren't familiar with it, it's not just something new that you guys started doing, right? Right. Well, most people don't know where Moldova is, period, because when I say I I'm do. from Moldova, well, we know that much. <laughs> right. But um, when most of the times where I'm asked where I'm from, I say Moldova, and they say, yeah, Moldova, but what country? So Moldova is a country. It's a small country. It's okay, which can you please ignore the Americans who don't know that Moldova <laughs> is a country because that is so embarrassing. <laughs> no. Stupid Americans. No, it's even, you'd be surprised. Even in Europe, a lot of people don't know where Moldova is, where the, the existence of Moldova, period. So, um, Moldova so, so let's tell people, where is Moldova? Precisely sandwiched between Romania and Ukraine. Okay. So um, it's, it's a kind of a neural... A newer country, I should say. We gained our sovereignty in 1992. Mm -hmm. um, our wines have always been actually taking it back in history. Um, even the Romans used to buy wine from the region because of the soil, um, the temperature, the elevation, and so forth. The Russian Tsars would buy uh, wine from the region. And yeah, they liked it so much they took over the country, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. We don't like talking about that. <laughs> She's like, it's not a political show. I'm no. talking about the wine. <laughs> not today. Um, however, uh, even today, the uh, the Queen of England has a little bit, uh, a small cellar at the um, uh, Purkar winery mm -hmm. where she keeps her wine. Negro de Purkar is her favorite wine. So if it's good enough for royalty, I know it's good enough for us. Okay. And is that the cabin, the cab? No, Negro de Purcar, um, it's um, a, an indigenous varietal in Moldova. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I don't have it on the table. That's okay. Uh, however, uh, however, we have another varietal co called um, Rara Negra, which translates into rare black, and it's the rarest uh, varietal in the world. You can only find it in the region. And um, to my uh, taste buds that go something like a Pinot Noir with the Sangiovese twist, it's one of those very intriguing kind of wines. Okay, so here's what I'd like to do. We're going to take a break. When we come back, let's get some of these wines poured so we can taste them. And then we can find out a little more about the country and about the tourism there. Um, this is David and Nikki Nellis with Foodie and the Beast. We are drinking around the world today. We'll be back in just a sec.
All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. Again, we want to thank our sponsors, the, the Market at River Falls, the folks at ProFish and all their fabulous sustainable uh, Well, and don't seafood. forget Ivy City. And, and the Ivy City Smokehouse. Mm-hmm. And Smokehouse. once it's nice out, um, they yeah, have a beautiful go. patio, but Tony and Joe's is under their umbrella as well, and they're right there on the harbor. Boy, they uh, must be great. paying you more than they're paying me. They so. are. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Central Farm Markets and uh, Meat Crafters. So, um, uh, Liliana, you're going to tell us a little bit more about uh, the history of Moldova. Is that right? What are we yeah, I'm going to tell you because Nikki just threw uh, before the break. In front of the Nikki, before the break, asked about tourism and about Moldova. As Christina said, I love your accent. Okay. Thank you so much. It's That's a heavy good. accent. It's better than Matt's Lichtensteiner accent. <laughs> I'll say that <laughs> by a mile. <laughs> yeah, it's something individual. Uh, so, as Christina said, Moldova is a small country in southeastern Europe, and um, we feel very comfortable today in the company of Liechtenstein when we talk about small countries, because I remember once traveling in Asia and trying to explain them where is Moldova between Romania and Ukraine, and people was answering, but there is not enough space for a country oh. there. <laughs> so I said, yes, there is. And we are very famous for our underground cellars. So we have... One of the largest in the world underground cellar is in Moldova, where you travel by buses, by cars, and you have streets of wines, you have streets of fetias. Underground? Underground. Cool. 200 kilometers is the largest underground cellar. Second one of the most large is Krikova, and you are now tasting our famous Krikova wine. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, beside these underground uh, cellars, we have also ground uh, wineries, small, big, depending on what kind of wine do you prefer to try, from full body, extra dry, till the sweet one, till the sparkling wine, depending on what kind of mood you are. And Is what it you appropriate sugar. to announce the all-expenses-paid trip for food in the to the underground? We should work on Yeah, my bag is packed and in the car. Lovely. So... People, when people go visit your country, yeah. they take tours underground? Take, exactly, Nikki. You, when you'll be in Moldova, you'll decide if you want to go by bus or if you want to take your own car or a smaller car. And to go on these streets, you'll decide which street is wait, more okay, preferable. Like wait, okay. I know, but you're saying streets. So like you travel underground, yeah, underground and you can... Yeah, and you see bottles. On your left and right, you why, see bottles. Why was this done in the wine. first place? Um, I think you... Yep. I mean, do they do they do they dig these because it was cool and these were good places? No, 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 no. If you're asking me why we have done it, yeah. then uh, I'll tell you that uh, this was previously part of our uh, industry. I'll tell that it was caves for stones, oh. for white stones used by Moldovans to build our white cities. <laughs> we are a city of white buildings. It's a beautiful country. A lot of greens, white, exactly. I go think I know. It has to come with us. Sorry, Italy, we're going to Moldova. Okay, Italy, I think, will forget you because... No, the they'll spe- never forget <laughs> When we come, a banner says, welcome back, David. But <laughs> We speak um, in uh, Romanic language, and we like to say in vino veritas, which means in wine truth. is truth. Yeah, we believe in this. We believe in that too, yeah. and also beer and um, sparkling. Yeah. And other drink spirits. enough wine, she says. I gotta tell you something. Okay, right? yeah, yeah, I'm very, very honest. So, um, talk about a little bit uh, more about the tourism industry. Aside from the wine, what else is there to do in what? What else would you recommend that people do? Definitely. Um, 
first of all, um, when you arrive to Moldova, it will be very interesting for you to discover the agrotourism, because wine usually is uh, connected to the uh, beautiful agro landing which we have, like agro farms where you can go and just to have your own fruits or a beautiful forest, which we have. We have the largest forest in the region, which is a deep walled forest, and you can go on a kind of safari with a good glass of wine <laughs> and with very good food. So is there, are, there, are there laws uh, that constrict uh, development and you know, taking the timber and building houses and all of that? Oh, uh, about restrictions, definitely like any any country in Europe, because uh, don't forget that Republic of Moldova is an associated, uh, assigning the associated agreement with the European Union. And so we have, in terms of laws and in terms of uh, normative uh, base, we have the same as European uh, uh, law. Well, so I want to get Christina just back on the mic for a second. So, Christina, the white you poured... This is the Cabernet? The white Cabernet. It's 100% Cabernet Sauvignon. It has no oak influence. It's all stainless steel. However, as I previously mentioned, if you leave it room temperature, it brings up the character of the uh, Cabernet Sauvignon. If you close your eyes, you might just fool yourself that you're, thinking, uh, you're drinking the red Cabernet I mean, it's Sauvignon. It's amazing because the color is almost pure, yes. clear. Yeah. Yes. It's really fascinating. Um, and so you were going to pour us one more today, right? I was going to pour you one more. It's a Cabernet Sauvignon from Chateau Vartelli. Now, Chateau Vartelli, although um, a younger winery, uh, they uh, they be really begun um, their activity. When you say younger winery, what does that mean? Well, because Krikova, the first one we tried, the Criseco, uh, it's the oldest, one of the oldest wineries in Moldova. So they've been, they're basically our pioneers, so to speak, of, uh, so to speak, of winemaking. Um, and not only do they make the, m the most sparkling wine in Moldova, but also in the uh, Southeast Europe. Uh, Chateau Vartelli, on the other hand, they're younger. They really started um, producing wine around 2004. Okay. But today they've gained so much notoriety that you can see them throughout the DMV area in the stores. Well, that was my next question. Can we buy these wines around Absolutely. the D.C. area? Absolutely. So the one that you're sampling right now, the White Cabernet, it's vastly distributed in the Whole Foods chain. Okay. So you can find it there for about eleven ninety nine. That's mm -hmm. one of the things I, I absolutely love about our Moldovan wines. The the quality is so high, but the price it's unbeatable. You sure. get so much wine for for little money. It doesn't break your budget, so to speak. And so I guess the probably in the DC market, but probably in most of the United States market, what's probably hard to people need to be educated about the wines. You know, people just know what they know, whether it's, you know, wines from Italy, wines from France, wine from California. There's, you know, South American wines are gaining traction. So are wines from New Zealand and Australia. But, you know, we, last week we had wines of Georgia in here. We've had wines from Hungary. We've had wines from India. So it's really about educating the public about your wines and the history and, the, and, and, and the kind of quality that you're putting into these bottles. Absolutely. That's why um, a lot of the Moldovan importers teamed up. So we are scattered throughout um, the United States. There's quite a few Moldovan importers um, that we keep closely in touch. And we always have educational videos, um, always on the social media, educating people on the Moldovan wines in the region. And again, I, I couldn't emphasize more that for um, for the price that you pay, you get so much quality in it. And um 
you know, I've always loved wine. I grew up with it. My family made wine through uh, generations, and I grew up stomping the grapes before we had the machines. So my, I had the, the deep love for wine ever since. When I came to the United States, I couldn't find a bottle of wine that wouldn't break the budget. I'm not saying that there is no good wine. There's outstanding California and Oregon wine, but none of which wouldn't break my student budget. I right. hate to do this, but the show's almost over. It is How almost over, that? but Just thank you. Just sit there and drink. But wait, I want to get back to Eric Moses and get down to the nitty-gritty on the D.C. Uh, Embassy Chef Challenge. Eric, mm -hmm. it's on May 17th. At the Reagan Building, how do I get tickets? Uh, EventsDCEmbassyChefChallenge.com. Okay. And just let's get people just a once more over about the whole event. So a way for you to visit the world uh, through food, drink, and culture uh, in one night at the Reagan Building. It's a Thursday night, May 17th. Um, great people, great food, great culture. It's, mm -hmm. a, it's a quintessential Washington, D.C. event. It you is. can't do this anyplace else. And the else. winners get a golden pineapple. <laughs> yes, what? indeed. Because it's a, the universe, that's the global uh, uh, symbol of peace. And hospitality. Right? Oh, and hospitality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Peace, okay. too, but hospitality. Right. No. Like, <laughs> no, it, like, she didn't wake up and give me a pineapple <laughs> no, this morning. I did not. Sure. That's very true. Yeah. Um, so, all right, people, so tickets are still available. Tickets are still available. Mm -hmm. This is a VIP ticket and a GA ticket. What's the difference between a VIP ticket and a regular ticket? So, the VIP ticket allows you early entry. So mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. an hour early, so mm -hmm. you get to taste and sip and so experience a little, a little bit when more, there are a fewer people. Yeah, uh -huh. and uh, and you get the after party. Okay. And the GA ticket is just the. Uh, and the once again, just tell us quickly about that after party. So the after party will be uh, at the conclusion of of the event. We're going to move everybody to another room. We're going to mm -hmm. have uh, DJ and live performances, food, drink, and celebrate uh, having a great time eating, drinking, and seeing the world through. And if you get there early, you get the VIP ticket. You can drink more of that flying monkey's juicy ass. Right. <laughs> so much about Which is pretty good. On Foodie and the Beast. All right. The show's almost over. Uh, everything about the show that you heard today is going to be on Nikki's website, thelistareyouonit.com. Mm -hmm. Follow her on Twitter, Instagram, uh, and she's on WTOP Live every Thursday at 1240. Mm -hmm. And don't follow her anywhere else, because if I see you in front of my house, I'm going to get you. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I want to thank all of our guests in studio today for joining us. It certainly was a tour around the world, and it was very, very exciting. We are off next week, because it is Mother's Day, and I'm not working. But no, the following week, we have such an amazing show. Mark... Um, Mark Bittman is going to be in studio. It's a new cookbook. And Patrick cool. O'Connell, he's celebrating 40 years. We're very excited about it. This is David and Nikki Nellis for Foodie and Beasts. Thank you again to all of our guests for joining us today. Please have a delicious week.